Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and welcome to this podcast short from our signature show, Your Backstage Pass, featuring a special vignette from another great episode. Okay, great. So, now, I, I want you to tell everybody the famous story of how you ended up at, at 3 Seville Row, Apple Records. Mm. Well, um, I don't really know how I found the courage to do it. I don't really know how I had the idea to do it, but I didn't spend days mulling it over or discussing it with my friends. I watched John and Paul on The Tonight Show on May the 14th, 1968, and they came out with their sports jackets on. They looked different than the mop tops. They looked older and cooler and not my generation look look like older and they said come to london bring your songs bring your poems bring your movie scripts there'll be nobody there in a gray suit um and we'll listen to them and uh, john lennon said it was one of the most worst experiences he had doing that show because joe garagiola instead of johnny carson hosted which is how johnny carson can be there i don't know and so i went Three months later, I got on a plane. I saved my money. I worked at budget rent car to make the money. I was in um, Virginia University. Um, I maybe it was in grade 12. I can't remember. But I got on the plane and I flew to London and got off the plane. I went to Earl's Court, got myself a, a room, um, left the room, got on the tube, went to Three Savile Row, looked at it, couldn't believe I was there, went back to the hotel room, crashed because I was so tired from the long flight. The next morning, I went to Apple at 10 in the morning. I walked up the stairs with my little guitar, not scared, not nervous, didn't even really think what I was doing, how crazy to do this. And I walked up the stairs, and I was telling Charles before we started, Mick, that sometimes memories you think are completely crystal clear, but who knows? So this is my memory, brother. This is, I, I, this is one of the most important days of my life, and I did think about it a lot. So this is my memory. So I'm walking down this long sort of hall, and there's this desk, oversized oak table, desk table, oversized, much too big. And there was this very young uh, English girl, cockney girl, maybe she was 17 or 18, sitting behind the desk. The desk was more or less empty. And she said, can I help you? And I said, I'm Barry Greenfield, which is how I started everything. I'm Barry Greenfield, and I'm here to meet John Lennon because he invited me when he was on The Tonight Show. And she got really nervous. <laughs> she said, do you have an appointment? And I said, no. And she didn't know what to do because nobody else had come. <laughs> and <laughs> to my understanding, the only fool in the world that actually did. So <laughs> I, she said, have a seat. So I went and sat, and there were these two church pews. I remember this really well. They were really long, obviously taken from a church, uh, facing each other in this very, very oversized uh, hallway. And I sat. And lo and behold, five minutes later, up the stairs comes um, John, followed a few steps behind by his, his wife. And... Um, He's dressed in black, and he had the black hat on. And I think it was the same fit he wore in the Hey Jude album cover. I'm not sure, but I think it was. She was dressed in white, and he had this really nice walk, and he looked like John Lennon. He looked smaller than I thought. Like, you always hear about famous people, except for you, Mick. You look so much taller. Um, <laughs> and he said, um, I said, hello, Mr. Lennon, which is exactly what Mark David Chapman said to him. And he said, hello. 
And he smiled at me with just a smile that just melted me. And then Yoko walked by, didn't say anything. And then they walked up into a room where I believe Alan Klein was sitting. I'm not really sure, but I think it was. And Alan, Alan said, Klein was the Beatles manager at that time for people who don't know. Just, just began. And they'd been in Apple for less than 10 days. And the, the, other, the other beautiful part of this story is the McGree picture of the Apple cut in half, which was, I don't know, uh, eight feet by eight feet, 10 feet by 10 feet, a thousand feet by a thousand feet. And a huge picture of this apple was on the floor behind her. It hadn't even been hung yet. Wow. They hadn't even hung the picture of the apple. It was still on the floor. I, I remember that. I thought, Jesus, that must be early. They didn't hung the pictures yet. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there and this dude comes out. And this is the part of the story where I'm not sure. I've always thought it was Derek Taylor because looking at pictures of Derek Taylor, but I don't really remember. And this dude comes over and he was in his mid-20s and he goes down on his knees and he says, hello, how can I help you? And I said, well, I've come to play to give John my songs. He invited me from Canada. He said, well, John's kind of busy today. Can you leave a cassette? And I guess I was freaked. I didn't have a cassette. I said, I, I don't have a cassette. I've never recorded a cassette. I've never recorded any of my songs. And he said, well, how are you going to show them to John? And I picked up my guitar, the guitar you see in that picture in the plastic case. And he said, oh, and he thought for a second. And well, will you play them for me? And I thought it was really nice of him. And I said, I'd love to, because I wasn't scared. Uh, I wasn't scared. I don't know why. And then we walked past John and I walked down these long hallways. Every room was empty, as far as I can remember, to one right in the back. And there was a white shag carpet that was really, really dirty. And there was nothing in the room. And we sat down on the floor, and I pulled out my guitar, and I played him 10 songs, and he just loved them. And do you want me to go on? Please, please go. Okay, yeah. so he just loved the songs, and he said... These are beautiful songs, Barry. These are great. Um, can you come back tomorrow? I want to speak to John. And so I put my guitar back in my case. And I sort of remember getting really nervous then because I didn't know quite, I wasn't really expecting anything. And so I go down the stairs and I go into the street. And the first thing I do is I go to a payphone. And in those days in London, it's hard to believe children, but you could put a shilling in the play phone. How much is a shilling, by the way? Uh, 10 cents. Okay. And you could say, um, I'd like to phone collect to Canada. And they would phone collect. And your mom would answer. My mom would say, hello. And we have a collect call from your son, Barry. We have charges. And she would say yes. And I said, mama, I, I just was at Apple and they really loved my songs. And my mom, God bless her soul, she said, well, you write very good songs, Barry. And I thought that was beautiful. I remember uh, her saying that. Well, you write very good songs, Barry. She always loved Sweet America best, as does my wife. And um, You'd actually written Sweet America back then? No, I wrote that for 10CC a couple of years later. Oh, okay. Okay, let's, let's, get, to that. let's get to that. Okay. So I um, then went back the next day, and this dude, who I think was Derek Taylor, the publicist uh, walked me to EMI, Manchester Square, 10 minute walk. We talked about the Beatles, we talked about Apple. It was really interesting. He wanted my opinion of the songs. I wanted my opinion of um, the Beatles. He wanted my opinion because I guess I was a regular guy. And I can't remember what I said, but it was obviously positive. Now, who and is this guy? Derek Taylor. He was the publicist. Oh, so you, so, oh, so you talked. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, it He's makes sense. That, it makes sense that it would be Derek Taylor. Yeah, it does, because he, ran, he ran the Apple organization. So. Yeah, and there wasn't many people there. It wasn't like there was hundreds of people around. There was like no one. 
Yeah. There was no one there. There was John, Yoko, um, that dude I think was Alan Klein, who's an old guy smoking a pipe, a Galois cigarette, I guess. And then there was the young lady behind the reception desk. And I didn't think I saw anybody else but this Gary Taylor guy. Apple had just opened. They hadn't done any hiring yet. They had just moved in through Sub Row. There was no furniture. It was it was like an, a, a vacant office building. And the only thing that made it appear to be the Beatles was John Lennon was there and the picture of the apple on the floor. Right. So I played, I walked into Ardmore and Beachwood at Manchester Square. Now Manchester Square is where the Beatles shot the Please Please Me album cover, where the railing is, and the blue greatest hits, and the red greatest hits. Right. So I stood at the railing and I said to Derek, is this the railing? He said, yeah, that's the railing. And I stood there and I stood second from the end and I, I, I stood there for as long as they'd let me. And then we go into this office with the head of Ardmore and Beachwood and he said, play me your songs. He made me a cup of tea. I remember that. Drank the tea with no milk. And then I played him my songs. And then he said, let's go downstairs and record Love is for the Young and Old and With This New Girl. And I go downstairs into the bowels of EMI. Never recorded a song in my life. I'm sitting on a wooden stool. I can play my songs really now, well. Now, this isn't EMI music. Apple. This is EMI demo studio in their office building. In the EMI head office in Manchester Square, London W1, I think it is. Uh, okay, great. Okay. It, it was the famous EMI where um, Cliff Richards, they're all on that label. Because a lot of people don't realize that the, the famous Abbey Road Studios was actually EMI Studios. It became yes. Abbey Road after the Beatles called their album Abbey Road. Because the Beatles were at EMI. They were two of the signs, like all correct. the big bands. Correct, correct. Uh, the Hollies were in EMI, all the big bands. So I um, played, recorded two songs with this with this new girl and Loves for the Young and Old. Took me a long time to do it, to get them right. It was engine. It was produced by Larry Page from Page One Records, and the Trogs were there. God knows why the Trogs were there, but the Trogs were there. And Reg Presley from the Trogs told me he loved my music, and I didn't care. And <laughs> then. I the very out. first song I ever learned was by the Trogs. Love is all around. <laughs> it's yeah. a great song. Yeah. He's a talented man. The Trogs, you know, uh, so he, he, I'm very judgmental, I guess, or opinionated. So he, he, um, he said to me, um, John wants to release these, this song as a single, Love is for the Young and Old, with this new girl, Love is for the Young and Old being the A-side. And if it does well, they want to do an LP with Apple. And I, there was no business discussion. It was just the way Apple did stuff, you know, by the seat of their pants. And it just, like, it was like, when if you, if you can imagine you're, you're doing something and then somebody says, will you marry me? It was like, what? This is too quick. I, 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 don't, I don't want to make a record. I, I, I want to say, I want to write songs. I, I don't want to be singing I, I can't sing and i said i don't sing he said oh barry you sing really well and i said you know let me think about it so i went home which is london earl's court and i hardly slept and i walked around all day and i went back the next day to chris webb at arbor beachwood and i said hey man i've given this some thought it's just not for me i, I don't have the the backbone i don't have i can't play the guitar i think it's just a suicide rap i, I think i shouldn't do this I think take these songs and get somebody else to sing them because I don't want to do it. I didn't come here for that. I came here to be a Tim Penale songwriter. I don't, I don't want to be um, a singer. I don't, I don't want women. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want to sit at home and write songs and get an education and be a regular Joe. Right. And um, 
he was really nice about it, Mick. He, he was really nice. He said, oh, yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, Barry, you're a really great songwriter. We're here if you ever change your mind. Uh, don't worry, I'll speak to John about it. I'm sure he'll understand. God bless. And that was the end of it. Came wow. Canada. And, you, and you went back to Vancouver. Both of those songs were recorded by Nori Paramore as instrumentals. And Nori Paramore was the biggest band leader in England. He was the guy that produced Cliff Richard and the Shadows. And he had a big band, sort of like, um, I don't know like who, but like a band with 20 people, 30 people. They played instrumentals. And they both were recorded. And I think it went top 40 or something in England. So what was and the deal? Did you actually sign something for that? Or yeah, did they I signed just... with Ardmore and Beachwood. Okay, and so so you were paid for that? Yeah, I got money. I got wow. checks. For, not big checks, but they were big checks to me, a couple of hundred quid, you know, wasn't bad. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand. <laughs>